Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Andy Patton. And I'm rough enough. Well, I'm back with Andy a week after recording our first installment where he gave us a sense of, you know, hey, I read the rules. What does he think about the game? He shared an initial army list. We figured it's a good time to check back in. You've got some games under your belt. I do. I've been getting my butt kicked all week. <laughs> and it, it was a learning experience for sure. Now that you've had a few games under your belt, has your interest in Kings of War changed at all? Oh, not at all. I'm still like hyper obsessed over <laughs> the games. I've been playing around on campaign pretty much every night just to see what I can do. Let's talk about Companion for a minute because, you know, obviously you're you're using lots of other apps and stuff for other games. What is your feedback on it? What can they improve? I like the system altogether, but some form of app to download on, on your phone. Offline capability. Yep, that is the only negative that I have for it. Because I know Mike Horner shared the same concern. He was like, I'm going on an airplane, and I'm not going to have internet access, so I can't really fiddle with it. Right. I'm glad you found it intuitive, at least in terms of building and stuff. That's one of the weirder things is just how you build an army in kings of war the fact that you got to buy regiments and hordes to unlock certain other things and it may not be super clear from first reading of the rule i think it snaps for people when you actually build an army and you're like well, why isn't it letting me add oh this unit's a regular yeah anything come up in your games that you know change your thought about the game going in you know like specifically did anything work differently than you thought it was going to work or or maybe you were surprised by wow this is better than i originally thought yes there's a few things. One, the chariots didn't work out as best as I thought. Looks like it may just be locally with the meta here. There's a lot of larger units like Monsters Cab, Monsters Infantry, things like that. And the Rampage doesn't do much in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, we should remind people the Rampage comes from the formation, right? Correct. It was it was D3 or it was just Rampage 3? Uh, it was Rampage D3 for the little ones. And then the Legion got D6. Another thing I realized, you have to have unit strength to pick up loot tokens. You had a few individuals in your list, I think. Correct. And I had I gave a character the uh, scouting boots to help with the loot tokens and objectives and whatnot. And realized after the fact that, hey, he can't actually pick them up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, went ahead and fixed that. I had too much magic on all my characters. Trying to do magic after I charge the guys on chariots and stuff. So, no, it's definitely a, a learning experience. Like, I know I read the rules, but actually putting it on the table and doing it, it was a little different. So, was there any mechanics that played out differently on the table than you in your head when you read through the rules? Not really. It was pretty straightforward. It's the trying to do too much at the same time is what got me and how about kings of war as a competitive game now that you've had a few games under your belt how do you think it's going to work in a competitive environment for you i think it's a very competitive game the rules are precise there's no guessing and that's the biggest problem with other games 40k for example the rules are very ambiguous games workshop is not very good at writing rules 
They're great at making models. Oh, fantastic at models, yeah. Has your perspective on random game link changed now that you've played played some games? I mean, did, did you get burned by not getting the turn seven or getting the turn seven yet? No. Actually, I think <laughs> me getting tur- not turn seven has won me, won me a game and kept me from getting completely blown out in another game. Yeah, it's it's helped me quite a bit. I like the random game length is what I'm getting at. You said in the last time we chatted that you always want to go second. Has that changed? Do you still want to go second? Actually, yeah. I, I went first against a couple of my opponents this week. For those that didn't know, I played four games this week. I won my first game against Rob. Uh, he was being nice to me. with No, no, no. I wasn't being nice. <laughs> I have like about 1,850 of orcs painted. I basically, because the fight wagons now don't unlock, I was kind of locked into a certain bill, which was two legions of chariots. I mean, I painted them as a legion, right? There's nothing I could do about that. And then I had two regiments of gore riders, a giant. I had a guy on a wing slasher, magic users, and a flag it. And I think that's pretty much it. And you pounded me into the ground, right? Like you did a great job. I mean, I think the, I hadn't played that type of build of EOD where against that type of build, where you were, you were leveraging the, uh, the Pharaoh on a chariot to give what is appreciably cheap units, much better to hit values. If you get in the same combat as a unit that has a skeleton keyword, they get your, they get your melee value. You know, I think on one time you, you flank charged me with, a horde of skeleton spearmen. I'm like, ah, uh, 60 attacks on fours. It goes to threes. And that makes a big difference, right? One of the things I wonder though, in that game, did it hit on you that most of your army is not crushing strength and it's thunder charge. And once you make the initial punch, if you don't break them, then in the grind, you may have difficulty because if it's defense five or defense six, it's harder to get through that. That was a hundred percent notice uh, throughout the week between not breaking my opponent and them all utilizing terrain to the point where I didn't get my TC or I'm uh, hindered and hitting on fives or something like that or, or sixes at some points. Yeah, that was pretty rough. Shows the value of crushing strength. Thunder charge can be very good, especially if you have a unit that has thunder charge and crushing strength. So you may be a little more powerful on the charge, but in the counterplay, you still have something. Those knight units or those chariots that don't have any crushing where they better do it on the charge or have friends to help. Well, let's talk about the scenarios. What scenarios did you play? Invade in ours, I think? It's one with the six table quarters. Sorry. So we play control in ours. Yeah. So you got the six table quarters and the one in my deployment zones worth in the center's worth two and vice versa for the one in yours for me. And then I played invade twice, which is the one where you get across the center line. What are your thoughts on invade for an army that has a lot of shambling units and, and is a little bit on the, I mean, you could argue it's a pretty slow army, even though you have surge, the fact that you can't have to double those shambling units means you, you need to have magic to push them forward. Well, the, the fact that it scores at the end of the game, I think helps a lot for the slower armies. At no point was I like, oh, I'm never going to score. <laughs> right. Most of the game, one of those invade games, I played against elves, and they had a bunch of monsters, flying monsters calf. It was a dance most of the game. I had a bunch of spearmen. He had a bunch of flying monsters. He didn't want to charge me. With good reason, right? Ne- ne- negative one and losing his TC is not a, you know, and you're already like a 22 or 23. Yeah, 22. Yeah, even two hordes into him is not a guarantee you're going to pop him. Right. Andy, why don't you share with the audience what does kill skeleton hordes? Archers. Glade stalkers. Yeah, glade stalkers. <laughs> Especially if you roll hot, those, those skeletons have no chance. 
So that was the story of, of that game. <laughs> and did you play that same list that we talked about last time? That game was very close to the same list, as well as my other of Invade. It was against the same elves. And then when I played against Swatley in my my fourth game. And he was running Green Lady, I believe, right? With a lot of mounted stuff? That's correct. In that game, I was running a bit different. I went to two Ammonite Pharaohs on Chariots. I had three hordes of skeletons, and then I had a reanimated behemoth, revenant cav, revenant champion on uh, cavalry mount, and uh, I gave him the main chant magic item, and then I ran the monolith for the first time in that game, and that was pretty good. I like I don't like that it does nothing other than surge, but it's still pretty good. How'd the game go? Uh, he got me three to two in that game. And that was Invade as well, or is that a different scenario? That was a different one, where we both put down three objectives. I, I think, unless you describe, you added the uh, reanimated behemoth, which is Defense 6, right? And that's, how did you find the Defense 6? He still died in one charge, but that was because it was a legion of cavalry that was bane-chained. A horde of cavalry? Yeah. A bane-chained horde of cavalry? Yeah. So they're probably at least TC2 crushing one. You're like, 32 attacks, but uh, yeah. Was there any standout units in the games you played this week? A lot of people that was trying to give me advice told me to stay away from the Spearmen, but I feel they did fairly well. They also, the Scavengers, I played them in one game against Swally, and they were fantastic in that game. But the biggest one was the Ammonite Pharaoh on Royal Chariot. He's He is a amazing. <laughs> Talk about the Spearmen for a minute. I mean, you're, you're paying premium points to basically get extra attacks. And the failings rule. The extra attacks depends on what they're using it for. In that you have the extra attacks. But the problem is they do hit on fives. And then phalanx, it's situational. you know. And as you found against the Dracon Hordes, they're not going to charge you in the front. There are some other advantages to a unit with phalanx. If you disorder a flying unit, then they automatically lose nimble. But if you have a non-flying unit that has nimble, and you disorder them with phalanx or ensnare, they also lose nimble. So, I mean, there, there, there are advantages. And I guess I wonder, you know, I, I don't know that you're dissuaded, right, from using the, the skeleton spearmen. And I, and I wonder, is it because they're a deterrent? Like, it, it's sort of like putting down a bunch of war engines on a flank. You put those guys down somewhere, you know that there's that that would be the last choice of those flyers or the or that cavalry. Right. Yeah, they, they initially went as being one of my last units dropped. Like trying to see where my opponent is going to be, and then and then put them down, just to keep them off there. But now I've been trying in my last game. They're almost the first thing I dropped, and then he deployed around them, which was fine because I still even just surged them into the combat. So it still turned out pretty nice. <laughs> Surge yeah. is pretty good. And you mentioned the Ammonite Pharaoh. Sounds like you're high on that guy still. Yes. Yeah, he's. He's only got seven attacks, which I guess is pretty good for a character. But uh, the nerve 17, defense five, and then he's crushed two, thunder one, with and the regen five. He's hard to kill, right? He's yeah. super hard to kill. I mean, essentially, he's a mummy on a chariot, right? And, and so, yeah. yeah. And he's very inspiring, which I know comes has come up in your games, right? Because the difference between six and nine is is huge. Yes. How about the Casket of the Damned? I know on your first list you had a bunch of them. Did you 
Are you still rocking them on every unit that can take them? Or are you toning that back? You know, what was kind of, where are you at now with caskets of the damned? Well, I've tried both extremes. I've tried with none and I've tried with on every unit and I have one casket of the damned now. Um, I guess we can go over what my list has kind of evolved into right now. Absolutely. That would be great. Okay. So starting with that unit, I still have two hordes of spearmen. I've tried three and I tried one. I prefer the two. I've got one with dragon charge shield and that's my unit with casket. Right. And you had that in the first list. So something mm-hmm. obviously you like about that, right? Being able to reface like that or give it a hold action when you're bracing, when you know they're going to make, I mean, the fact that you can reface and still use dragon shard means you can pivot in such a way you can reface in such a way to be ready for if they, if they dare charge you, especially if it's something that doesn't, is not going to be affected by your phalanx. And then I've got a second horde with hammer of measured force. This may still be wrong. I think the argument in the community is half the people think it's a trap because if you're dumping it on there, you know, you're hitting on five plus, right? So it's like, uh, the wild card here though, is if you can get it in the same combat as the Pharaoh, you're not hitting on five plus you're hitting on three plus, which is a big deal. I guess defense six, this is essentially crushed too. So it is actually right. Yeah. And, and it's also good. The fact that your unit, you're putting on a unit that doesn't have any crushing or thunder charge. So you're not wasting. Cause you didn't pay for that at all. And so this is just kind of a, you know, this is just a 20 point upgrade to the flip side is when they hit you with a unit that's defense three and you counter charge, well, you're still wounding on fours, even though they're defense right. three, but you know, hopefully that's a, you know, the least of your problems uh, won't come up very often. I don't think. Then I've got a horde of enslaved guardians. Talk to me about that. Why are these in the list now? They hit hard, man. But the biggest thing is their defense five. They're basically undead ogres at this point, right? You know, it was AT attacks on threes with crushing two, right? They literally are ogres, but they're fearless ogres, right? Dash 17. It's, it's pretty good. Another thing is their height three. So they block block line of sight to some of my stuff. So, and I've actually got fire oil on them. So I've seen quite a bit of regeneration between all my games. Play a lot of, of abyssal dwarves in our area. And they always have like, if they bring the formation, there's a, you know, with all the immortal guard and stuff, there's tons of regeneration. And then we play a lot of forces of nature. There's, there's a lot of armies in our current local meta at the store that are rock and regen and fire oils, you know, nice to have. Hey, here's a little extra pip of crushing strength against that. So against them, I get crushing three. So that's pretty good. Uh, 18 attacks hitting on threes. And fire oil is cheap. It's only five points, right? So it's like, it's a, it's almost a no brainer. Then moving on down, I've got two regiments of scavengers. They've been a very nice uh, chaff unit so far. They are uh, 11, 13 nerve. So they're not dash. I mean, they're, they're not terrible either. Well, that means you can move them, though, right? Like, you can really get them out there 20 inches with the nimble instinct. They're probably your best chaff unit in, in that army where you have the ability to really get it out and put it where you need it to be. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. They are speed 10 with fly and nimble, and they're deceptively difficult to kill. Like, you have to dedicate something to it because they're life leech 2, and they're still nerve 13. It's not impossible, but you're not just going to put your own chaff unit into it to kill it. I've got the scrying gem on one. I have liked the scrying gem in every one of my games so far. I'm going to keep taking it until I feel it's bad, which probably maybe never. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, if, if if your list is low on number of units, right, and deployment for slow armies, I say slow, you know, it's not really slow. You got surge. But if you misdeploy something wildly, 
it's you're gonna it's difficult for an army like an EOD to come back from that. So just being able to make the opponent put out extra units, you know, it's sort of like going second in that regard. You're kind of seeing what they're going to do, you know. I mean, I think the best scenario is when you get to go for when you lay your first unit down and to your point where you can throw the horde of spearmen somewhere that will be a deterrent. Like, yeah, put your flyers over here, you know, and you make them think. And then and then on there, the first set of deployments. Now, now it's when you hit them with the scrying gem, it's like, OK, great. Makes them think a lot. The other unit of scavengers, I actually took the crystal pendant of retribution. Tell me about that, because that's an interesting choice. Obviously, 50 points on a chaffed unit, but. I'm gonna guess your brain here is working in the right way, and you're gonna you're gonna you probably figured out why it's so good. It's kind of a throwaway chaff unit. They're gonna have to kill it if they want to get into my big stuff. If they want to kill it, they're gonna take two d three piercing three attacks. I don't have hardly any shooting. I've got some magic that we'll get to here in a minute, but uh, in my game against Swally, it like crushed an entire unit of knights. It was fantastic in that game. But yeah, my thought process is they're gonna have to charge it to get rid of it. Um, otherwise I'm going to be flying around in their backfield and, uh, if they do charge it and get rid of it, then they're getting hurt as well. Quite a bit. That was, that was kind of my idea on it. The big piece that a lot of people may not see on first pass. If the enemy charges your scavenger unit that has the crystal pendant and they kill it, they're not allowed to overrun D six. Right. And so that's a huge thing. Cause sometimes at the end of the game, you can use that unit positionally so that you lock them down. You know, like if you're playing control and they need to kill an, a, a unit that they're obviously going to kill, but they're going to bust through. Well, now they're not. They're going to stay where they are. But to your point too, it is also an extra pain. It's it's a little, it's random, but it's extra pain that they have to go through as well. If you're going to kill these guys, you're going to have to take your medicine. Right. And as you said, scavengers, you may look at it and go, oh, they're easy to get through. Ah, maybe not. Maybe not. And and if you send the, and if you send the right amount of force to actually get them out, that just puts you in more harm's way from the crystal pendant. Next thing I've got on my list, I've got two reanimated behemoths. So not just one anymore. Now you got two. So you must really enjoy those guys. Yeah, the defense six, nurse 17, and they have unit strength. That's the biggest thing. But then I looked a little closer and saw that they have D6 Slayer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're... <laughs> I've always been telling Matt Wiseman, our other local EOD player, like, take more of these guys. The Slayer D6, especially in our meta, is good. Is real good. Oh, yeah. It's real good. You see a lot of large infantry and large cavalry. Yeah, and even against not that, he's still nine attacks. But, boy, if you can get him in the flank. <laughs> yeah. Mm, Somebody's mm, hurting. Mm, mm, mm. And he's on a chariot base, too, right? Which mm-hmm. I think at first look, a lot of people don't understand the benefit of that. The center point of your unit is so far back. So that for pivots and stuff, you, you'll be able to pivot around things where other units will not be just because your center point is so far back from the front of the base. Right. Whereas a, a square base like Monster or something like that or Titan will still be in contact with other units. And even other units that are 100 millimeters deep, if they're super wide, still going to be hard. Looks like this is sort of the best case, right? You're only 50 millimeters wide, but 50 deep. So you're like an arrow and you can you can, you can pivot and now, and now your base is in isn't landing on the unit and you, you you'll be able to clear it. So I guess the negative is you got a big flank, but you know, your defense six. So who cares? Come on, charge me. Exactly. <laughs> a unit like that of the mammoth, which is also on a base like that is only defense five, but you could turn them and you can literally give someone the flank specifically to block line of sight because it's now you have a hundred millimeters of like, in my, you know, height 
five or whatever he is. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You can't <laughs> see around him. So, yeah, they have to charge him. And, you know, it, your unit is defense six dash 17, right? Or dash 18? Uh, dash 17. Yeah. So defense six dash 17. It's not a guarantee they're going to get it. Is there anything else in the list we didn't cover? Yeah, so I've got a a monolith now. I was finding games where most of my games, the characters would get locked up in combat or be too far away or something like that, or a line of sight block, and I wasn't able to do the surges I needed to do. And the monolith just kind of says, nope, you can surge whenever you want. <laughs> and it's got some, some great innate abilities, too, that make it more stout. It can't be disordered, which is the biggest part, in my opinion. So it doesn't matter if they charge it or whatnot. It's still defense 5, 17 nerve. Against Swanley, he charged it with half his army, and it, it still stayed alive. It scored me a point. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a very stout unit strength 1 unit. And then getting into my characters. If you remember before, I had three or four characters. I think it was at four characters with uh, just a whole bunch of stuff on them. I'm still leaning on them pretty heavily, but not quite as bad, I don't think. So I still have a Revenant Champion on horse. He has Surge 5, but I gave him the loot of Insatiable Darkness, so he's got Bane Chant 2. If you have an army that doesn't have access to a lot of Crushing Strength or Thunder Charge, it's just good. And if you have an army that has a lot of Thunder Charge, that's also good because they're going to lose it in the counterplay. Being able to have a Mounted Wizard who can you know get out there and move some stuff around and he's an individual so you know an individual can see 360 and can really get out there and move eight inches and throw a 12 inch bane chant where it needs to be right that's that's a 20 inch range that's a lot of territory that can be covered let's see i still got my ammonite pharaoh and royal chariot uh with rosie and nine but uh instead of giving him like a whole bunch of magic he has Surge 8. That's that's what he's got. Well, that's probably all you really need because, you know, we were talking about that, I think, is that if you got all these spells, but you have a unit that wants to get into combat so that he can give his melee value to other skeleton keyworded units, other than Host Shadow Beast, you can't cast. But Surge is always good, right? Because I think you have a lot of units that, that are surgeable in your army. Having extra sources are, are a great safety net in case something goes wrong. And my last one is a Cursed High Priest on Undead Horse. I gave her Heal 5 and Veil of Shadows. Very important against some of our local players, right? Being able to not have you shot up off the table. But the big thing I gave her was the Diadem of Dragonkind with Fireball. Absolutely. So she's now Fireball 18. Pretty awesome. She's got Reanimator special ability. So if I'm near at least two skeleton units which my whole army skeletons for the most part. Then I get to re-roll two of my dice that fail. So it's kind of like a faux fireball 20. I know you originally had drain life on that, on that character. How did you find drain life? Too short of range. Mm-hmm. Six inch range for an army that's trying to you know, scratch their way up. It's, it's difficult and it's 30 points, right? Like it, it's also an expensive spell as well. Right. Well, that sounds like a stout list. I have not played this version of the list yet. So this will be my next Next game. The next week's batch of games. I mean, it's pretty impressive in one week you got four games in. Let's be honest to the audience. It's helpful that you work in a game store, right? Yeah. Being there every day helps. I mean, you've got what you want to try out next. Is there stuff, other stuff on the radar that you're thinking, hey, I also would like to try some of these other things. I know we talked about mummies a little bit, but what else is on your radar? Everybody keeps trying to point me in the direction of the idol of Shobik. Um, and I know I, I listened to the... Empire of Dust Army Review. Yes, I listened to your uh, 
Empire of Dust Army Review. It was very helpful, by the way. Excellent. Um, and they basically said, I know of Shobik, uh, you need to find a reason to not take this. And my reason to not take this is that it's 290 point. I was just going to say, it's because it's too expensive, right? And I, they may even <laughs> yeah. have said that in, in the show, that like, it, it, it is a good unit. It does what it's supposed to do, but it's the price of a, you know, you're starting to get into dragon territory and you know, it's still unit strength one. Yeah. I mean, I get that it, it hits on threes. It's defense six, 10 attacks with dash 18 nerve at crushing three, but it's still 290 points. It is very good. I just, with me wanting to take the Ammonite Pharaoh as kind of like the core of my build, I couldn't see paying 270 for him and then 290 for the idol. I totally get it. It's not dissimilar from the my journey with my Kingdoms of Half Men, right? Where I tried desperately to get the Monarch to work, which was 305 points all kitted out. I love the model. I love the, I love the rules. I love everything about it. It's just at the end of the day, a lot of these games come down to unit strength. And when you only have 10 attacks and you're only unit strength one, you're not necessarily going to be awesome at taking out their unit strength and your unit strength one. So even if you survive, it, you really, do you really matter? I don't know. I totally get it. I think, you know, there, there's certainly an, um, a philosophy of, uh, you know, to, uh, boys before toys, I guess is the expression, right? Where don't spend a lot of money, you know, really that's more about the magical artifacts, but don't spend a ton of money. Just, just buy more units, get that unit strength up. And your list that you just shared, how much unit strength is in that list? Cause your first one had 24. Yeah, this one, this one is 11 drops at 17. So that's really elite, but I guess the argument would be yours. It's more resilient. Uh, by the way, I, I didn't think much of your troops of skeleton warriors until you played them against me. They're pretty awesome, dude. Without the casket, you know, just 55, 55 points for a unit strength, one unit that's, uh, that's fearless. That can stick in some corner, man. I wish, I wish, uh, you know, and it's defense four because there are fearless units or defense three, like the berserker berserkers that people have what do you got planned you got any what, any big games set up already not yet i'm so upset that i was spending so much time at the shop yeah you got to earn the family points back yep so um i'm looking to get a game in on wednesday i don't have any scheduled just yet that's kind of where i'm at right now i may play again on tuesday yeah because you got aos guys showing up then right and i know jeff will be up there and jeff's always game always game i just don't know if he has an aos game schedule because aos night Mm-hmm. We were just talking about you need to get your brownie points back. One way to do that is stay home and paint. And I know you've not traditionally been the hobby guy, but you've got plans for a hobby, right? You have plans for I this do. hobby. I Talk do. us about this. Tell, tell us what your plans are. This will be my first. Uh, let me rewind just a sec. I am uh, someone who's been playing competitive tabletop gaming since 2004, roughly. And uh, in almost 20 years, I have not fielded an entire army that I 100% painted myself. And I'm going to do that with this army. That's going to be amazing. And it's cool, too. You know, we talked about why you picked EOD, but I think one of the added benefits of EOD is that they've got a nice range of models. I, I like the way they look. I think I think many people like the aesthetic of that army, and they have a lot of cool uh, new plastics that have come out. They've got a lot of great resin models, so it's a it's a pretty good run, pretty good line for someone dabbling in their first Mantic Kings of War army. I, I agree, hundred percent. 
They look fantastic. And what's your first purchase? My first purchase, which I made yesterday, was a two-player set box. <laughs> what a great deal, right? If you're going to play Ogres, you're going to play EOD, and you need the new book. Buy the box, split it if you're not going to play both both factions, and you have the book. I don't know what the book retails for. 50 bucks, maybe? I don't know. You're, you're sort of almost getting the book for free in that regard. Right. Yeah, so that's awesome. What's next? What's the next purchase? Because, you know, you got Enslaved Guardian Archers in the list. You've got, you know, all, all kinds of big baddies. You got the monolith in your list. So what's next? Well, I have already ordered a whole bunch of stuff. So. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so what's on your list? It'll go out there in the ether. Then everybody will hold you accountable. All the people yeah. locally will be like, hey, Andy, how's that army come along? Along with that two-player box, if you add up, I'll have 80 skeleton models. I'll have six enslaved guardians, and they don't have models for it, but I picked a different mantic model, the murder crows. The murder birds. Oh, you use them as scavengers. I ordered some of those to get both units of scavengers in. I think for my bigger stuff, I may shy away from the the Mantic models, but the mass majority of my army is all Mantic. Well, they don't make a reanimated behemoth yet, right? There, there are stuff that's right. they don't even make yet. So, and to be fair, limiting your amount of resin you have in in this in this army is not necessarily a bad thing because you know, in terms of a person that's getting into their first real hobby effort, right, with a full army that you painted, obviously hard plastics is the easiest to work with. You know, even metals aren't terrible other than if you have to pin anything. But resin can be a little finicky. You know, there's, you know, you have some safety considerations with cleanup. There's also going to be the, the you know, there's going to be air bubbles and stuff that have to be filled. And they're not the easiest thing to work with from a, from a new hobbyist perspective. I wouldn't know about that just yet. <laughs> Your enslaved guardian archers will be resin, so you'll have you'll have that right, and that'll be your, probably your first taste. Basing wise, what are you using? Are you going to go with the footprints you're putting in your list? Are you going to go smaller and then use movement trays, take like two regiments and make a horde? Or talk to me about how you're going to be basing these things. I thought I was decided on this, but I'm up in the air with it. I've got bases for all of it right now for the whole army. That's how I've been practicing, of course. I may put them together all the models individually and just put them in movement trays and then just put the movement trays on, on the bases I've got. That's probably how I'm going to end up doing it. If you want to like the best of both worlds, rather than individually basing everything, not also not going completely down a locked in, this is a horde or this a regiment. What I did for my ogres, everything is based on the smallest size. All my ogres are based on 120 by 40. They're based on a regiment and I put everything on a regiment base and then I have movement trays where I can take two regiments to make a horde or four regiments to make a legion. So that, that gives me a little more flexibility, right? Now, with, with the goblins in that list, those I didn't want to be messing around with making a bunch of troops. So I just, you know, in this case, I just made them as regiments. I mean, that's certainly an option for your Enslaved Guardian Archers to do two regiments that could then be put into a horde. Because that gives you more options if you decide you want to, maybe you want to do two regiments instead of a horde. Uh, in terms of the spearmen you still have options as well right because you, you i guess you could take them as a troop but if you're not going to take them as a troop you could do two regiments and stick two regiments in a horde so yeah more, the good news is that you don't have all the models yet so you still have time to think through this because what you don't want to do is get them in a form factor that is not flexible enough to adapt to what you want to do in the future the biggest reason i was going to put them all down as the smallest like troops and regiments however 
I like the models. I kind of want to use them in my D and D campaign too. If you want them individually based, so you can use them for other for other games, makes perfect sense. You know, the big thing is if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you're definitely gonna have to go down the full model count route, right? Right? Because if it's right. a horde of forty, and you're basing them individually, then it's forty models. Whereas when you unit base, even if it's a partial unit base. And to be fair, you could still do this. We used to call them unit fillers in Warhammer, right? Like I would have a unit of 20 dwarves, but maybe I would fill like maybe a space of where four dwarves would have stayed with like a big giant keg or something, right? And you could pull that out. The world is your oyster, Andy. I mean, you got to be excited. This is your first one. I've been looking at all the other armies everybody plays here in our local meta. I've been liking it, man. I, I really want to get some games in. I've been trying to watch pretty studiously uh, while games have been going on, while I've been working. Every time I come in the store, there's a there's a bat rep on one of the channels. What are the channels, the bat rep channels that you've been following? There's a couple. Let me pull them up here so I don't botch their names. <laughs> King's Retreat is the one I've been looking at most often. Yeah, Drew's got a very professional presentation to his channel. Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, also, one of the 40K channels I, I watch regularly also plays Kings of War. That's the play on tabletop. That's awesome. So Obviously, 40K has a much bigger following on YouTube than, than Kings of War, right? So anytime we can get Kings of War into the hands of a bigger audience, talked about a hundred times on the show, is that it's not about getting the faithful to the Kings of War. It's getting everybody else. We really need to get Kings of War in the hands of the people who don't know about the game and how great it is. That YouTube channel you just mentioned would be useful for that. I really want to get more Kings of War players in the store, man. I like the Mantic product. I like the game. It's not overly complicated and saturated with unnecessary rules. All the rules are in one book. It's very friendly to newer players. And I, I want to try and make a push for it in, in the store. What's funny is as you say that, you know, you've taken your first step. So you started with Kings of War, and there's there's a cornucopia of other great games out there. You know, I know that there's a lot of players that play Armada in our store. Certainly Dead Zone's popular. Firefight has a smattering. Feature is very bright. You know, as you get more into it, you get to play more of their games. And I think the one thing that's really interesting about all of their games is they share kind of a design philosophy of, you know, streamlined systems that get out of the way. They're just there to give you the, the scaffolding for the game. It doesn't get in the way. A, you become the next big thing in Kings of War. But uh, also learning other games and, and seeing seeing if you enjoy these, you know, the various sci-fi offerings or the skirmish fantasy offerings or, or even the, the, you know, games like the Dungeon Saga, which are more role playing. You know, it's a dungeon crawler. So it's an exciting time. I guess my favorite part about Mantic so far has been it really feels like they are a tabletop wargaming game that makes tries to make models for their game. Whereas Games Workshop is a model-making company who tries to write rules to fit their models. And there's advantages to both. And the disadvantage for Mantic is that they don't make all their models, right? They came out with the rules, and now they're they're going through and trying to fill them out. Whereas, I guess, in your example, Games Workshop, they already have all the models, and they're, and they're, they're putting rules to it, I guess. so They're less invested in the rules than Mantic is, let me put it that way. At least that's what it feels like as a, as a player. Well, that's I marks coming from you. You're heavily invested in 40K, so you would know more than, certainly more than I. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a few accolades under my belt. Yeah, a couple scalps, you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of scalps, I've been asking around at the shop, who, who's the best Kings of War player in our area? And pretty much everybody unanimously said the same person. 
That's uh, Dan Kamek. Dan Kamek. He's consistently a high performer, right? I think the rest of us have had bouts where we found the right army list and we've hit it just at the right time with the meta where it triggers, where we can maybe win a tournament. But Dan is consistently good. He has been consistently good throughout, you know, even back when he was playing the herd through Abyssal Dwarves and now with Ratkin. And I think right now it's a standout because the, the Ratkin army is very strong. I think it's just it's in a really good spot right now within the meta. Yeah, Dan Kamek. Gosh, he's gotta be like twenty years younger than me, I think. I remember when I was playing him, it was like he was like sixteen when I met him, the GW bunker here in Memphis. And uh I still remember when he showed me what great weapons do to chariots. Dig damage from a great weapon, the chariot just dies. And I was playing like an all chariot mounted Tomb King list because I was that guy. I was like, Yeah, I don't care. I don't care if it's good. But when his unit of dragon owners just like took out my whole I was like, oh my gosh, it was ugly, but yeah. Dan's excellent. That's a plug for our Discord channel. You know, we have a Discord channel. The link is available on the Canon Charge Facebook page. Go in there. Dan's posting there. Dan's also on the voice hangout that we have in there. Dan's always around to answer questions and to chat. Well, what I was getting at was, uh, I'm coming for you, Dan. <laughs> excellent. Kyle Poole is also pretty good in our area. He made a run at Dan and, and Dan squatted him down. I'm sure Dan is waiting for more. <laughs> <laughs> usurpers to come at him. You got anything else you wanted to chat about before we get out of here today? No, I, I think that's it for now, man. We had that chat seven days ago. And now to hear your perspective after you've had the four games, how your list has evolved and how your perspective on the game has, has been enhanced, seeing some growth there. So next step is I, you know, obviously you get more games in and I can't wait for you to start on your hobby journey. You've got all this stuff on order and start building models and stuff. So it's an exciting time. Yeah. Well, with that, I think that'll do us for now. Uh, we'll be back again when Andy's got more scalps under his belt. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.